Right, I'm rolling. So, guys, I'm going to welcome you to back to What's the Crack with Alan O'Mani. I get the unique pleasure, is the way I'm going to describe it here, of sitting down with Ian Bailey and getting to pick his brain. So, um, do you know what? I'll leave the introduction to yourself, Ian. Okay, so uh, it's the 21st, 22nd of November. Beautiful day down here somewhere in the, the heart of the Rebel. Sun up in the sky like it's almost summer. Be dark in a couple of hours, so we better press on. Yeah. So I'm Ian Kenneth Bailey, uh, born in 1957 in Manchester. By background, I was a journalist, junior archaeologist, journalist, poet, um, and most more recently a legal academic from UCC. And I give you my permission to use this for your purposes alone. Perfect, and I appreciate that, Ian. And, and again, I just want to thank you for coming on and actually taking the time of day to ah, sit down and speak no, for myself. Perfect, perfect. And, um, right, so, John, I'm just going to get right into it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. With um, So, you've been very active on social media over the last, what, kind of two months, three months or so? Well, yeah, I mean, I, there's a story behind that. There's a story behind everything, isn't there? So, I was a social media virgin until I became, in the latter part of my 64th year, and I hadn't necessarily, I, was, I knew that I needed to embrace social media, and I'm a bit of a sort of old-fashioned guy, you know. We, after you're over 50, you don't understand, you know, this stuff. Yeah. So um, a friend of mine set me up accounts on Facebook, Instagram, um, um, what's the other one? Twitter. Oh, Twitter. Yeah. Twitter, yeah. Twitter. All right, I call it Twitter, because Twitter. most of it is Twitter, not Twitter. Yeah, there's a lot of that's, that's, that's another story, but I'll talk about that later on. So, uh, yeah, I did. So I went from being a social media virgin to being a, how shall I put it politely, a social... If I said I was a social media whore, that would get bad reported and picked up, so I'm not going to say mm, that. You, know you can't say that because it's fairly no. accurate. <laughs> but, uh, no. but anyway, I mean, it is the way of the future. It is, you know, it is the modern media, which is quite different from the way I started as a newspaper man where you used to typewriter and used to phone your stories in to the newspaper offices. Yeah. And that was like, oh, 40 years ago. 40 years ago I haven't even been here for I worked years. in Fleet Street then I was in an agency I trained formally in journalism and then worked for a freelance agency and became a correspondent for all of the Fleet Street papers from the Sunday Times Observer Times Telegraph Guardian well that's Manchester but yeah uh, down to the lowest uh, to the red tops down to, uh, down to the lowest uh, oh, no, I didn't say that <laughs> but, uh, right so what actually, this is something I wanted to ask you because it's never really been stated. What drew you in towards like, the written oh, word? Well, I think when I look back, it was my father taught me how to read and my mother taught me how to write. And I can remember we had these little things they were called nursery rhymes, mm. which really should be called poems for little people. So if you think about it, the first sort of, you know, three blind mice, see how they run. So we get that from very early on. Well, I did. Yeah. And I think most kids do. Yeah, most kids do, yeah, definitely. Um, but then something happens then later on, and they... But so that's poetry. So that, that was the root in the poem, If, by Rudyard Kipling, which begins, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. And it goes on. It's advice from a father to a son. Yeah. And really good advice. And uh, you just kind of kept on to it, so basically, yeah, you, yeah. And then you, I won you a, never then, lost it. And then I won a poetry prize when I was eight, nine, and uh, the prize was, oh, the Songs of Hiawatha, Longfellow's great book about the the Hiawatha scale, which is brilliant. Can, can you explain that to me? Well, it's a story about it's the Indian creation story, really, the, the native North American creation story, 
and it just takes the form. It's written in perfect iambic pen, rhyming pentameters. How he does it, God alone knows. But it's by the sea of Gitchigooma, by the black sea water, sat the old nurse Nokomis, daughter of the moon Nokomis. In her arms she had a baby, little Hiawatha, by the waters lapping. And it just it's just the most amazing story. So that, I still got the copy of that that I won. Yeah. So that was sort of really sort of, Got the poetry into me, as it were. So that's where you kind of took your own. It's only from. very interesting as well. I was just listening to uh, uh, Muldoon, the poet, has just brought out a book. We're five years working with um, uh, Paul McCartney, called I think it's about the lyrics, about where Paul got the, his lyricism from. And his mother was an, um, a teacher and a midwife, but was very good at words. Taught him, and he said at the age of eleven, this is before he actually maybe became musical. He was the only boy in his school who could spell the word phlegm. P H G E L M, I think. Phlegm. Phlegm. <laughs> and th th so that's what got him into the wordy bit. Yeah. And you kind of took influence there. Do you feel well, like I, you th I, think the the word, I think the wordy bit, sometimes it's like, like the muse. I mean, one of my one of my great muses is, is Leonard Cohen when he was living and even since he's been passed. Um, and I've got other muses, you know, like artistic muses, you know, Picasso and, and different sort of. Um, disciplines of creativity but I think the muse is a funny and I write about it in my book uh, the uh, the John Wayne a John Wayne state of mind about it the important I, I have a little discussion in the book about why is poetry important where it comes from what it is and why it's so damned important yeah uh, and like the muse will come knocking maybe it happened to me the other night I was trying to get asleep I wrote three poems the first one starts at 2 two thirty a.m. in the morning and I'm right for an hour and I write three little things. Yeah. And I just remembered, because I was trying to get to sleep, that the muse had called on me. And I wasn't going to use my tape recorder. I didn't have my phone on me. So I, I, I wrote it. Put pen to paper. Yeah. Two in the morning. And it's just embracing that, that the, the muse. And, and, you know, and then maybe you write a pile of shite. But maybe, like, when you look at it, it's not too bad or you can tweak it so that's how I, I, my poetic process starts very often it's kind of where you start your blueprints all basically yeah and then I'll, I'll uh, they're like an abstract painting and then I'll put it inside I'll change words and think I mean every now and again I read a poem that I've written and I don't I fucking kick myself because there was a very obvious pertinent rhyme using a certain word that I could have got in the poem so when I do the reprints I'll I will tweet Ever edit like, it again? Like, well, not edit it, but just by me, just insert one, one word. One word. Yeah. You felt went astray. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, uh, saying that as well, like you know, like the West. Uh, what your first book again? It's uh, the West Corkway, is it? Or yeah. Well, when I first came here, so I left. I left. I left my heart and decomposed. Uh, left my little flat in the heart of decomposing nation. Took the tube train for the station. That's actually a quote from a poem that's in the book. Yeah. But uh, back in 1991, and my friends in London, when people said to me, "Why did you come to Ireland?" Well. I'd been brought to Ireland by a friend for, on several occasions from 1986 onwards to West Cork. Answering just, a question uh, I've written. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're answering a question over here for you anyway, go. Right, and um, I went back to London. I was living in South London, and most of my friends, all the friends, most of the people I got on really well with, just happened not to be English. or They were either Jamaican or Irish yeah. for, for some peculiar reason. So I, I had a lot of connections and, and contacts, so... In 1991, I, well, people say, what brought you to uh, to Ireland? I say, the St. Brendan, 
Well, so what, did you say, what do you mean, St. Brendan? I said, the ferry, the St. Brendan, right. run from <laughs> Wales to... Oh, <laughs> cheeky prick. Come here, so what actually brought you to Skull, of all Well, because I had connections in Crookhaven, which is like right at the end of the peninsula. Yeah. Oh, I know, and I'd left... And so I'd been working on a farm up in Waterford during the summer, done various jobs. I didn't realise at the time, because I didn't even know what the words meant, but I'd become a Spalpeen Farnach. Mm. And so I did, I think, did three months on the farm being a human scarecrow, protecting the barley from huge, great crowds. Of yeah. crowds. But all the time I was writing, writing poems. And I'd already contacted a couple of newspapers to say I was, I'd moved, I sent them my thing, Fleet Street Journalist. Yeah. Um, so I was always doing that. And then what happened, oh, I know, I had, I had my long winter coat. I lo- lovely, I'd had it for years and years and years. It was the best thing about the winter when the wind blows cold and you get your nice coat out yeah. and it makes you feel good. At least it's snug. And so I came down to get that ostensibly. I was going to go out fishing from Tremor, but then I found there was work in Skull at the fish plant. Yeah. And they. What year was this? 1991. Oh, yeah. that, that would have been no, November. So. Um, Jesus, so you're nearly. What, th- 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 yeah. 30 odd years? Yeah, and 25 of those. I've been, you know, there's been some. Sh- I've been dealing with. Shite. Yeah. But we'll leave the shite out for the time being. That's fine. There's no answer there at all. And, um, so, kind of going back to, like, what kind of drew the skull there, we have it. Well, yeah, it was, uh, and then I'm, so I'm working at the fish plant, and it's great because I've got a house for the winter. I've got food because I love fish. I was a young fishmonger when I was, like, a, a, not an apprentice, but I was on a fish store when I was younger. Yeah. So that's your food. Um, and money when, when the herring, it was just the herring they were going after, when the herring were flowing. And the stuff was going to, uh, it's a contract. They weren't even after the flesh of the herring. They were after the, the female row, and it was going to Japan at the time. And the, the, the company in Japan actually sent a man over, a Chinese man over to oversee the thing. So I wrote a poem about Aaron's herring. Aaron's hearing, but yeah. e- even when you were working, like obviously you were taking like uh, from your experiences what you were writing about. Yeah, basically yeah, in life. yeah. Like, did you ever think about like was there were you ever given opportunity to kind of take a different path and turn it down, or do you know like in terms of your career? Well, the only thing I would have done differently is if I was when I was young, I was very keen on history and archaeology, and I was a junior archaeologist. Yeah. I used to work on. I worked on Stone Age Neolithic sites. I worked on Roman sites, villas in Gloucestershire, and I worked on. Oh, right the way up to like Victorian layers, and it was fascinating, and it still is. I still mm. still one of my great um, interests. Interests, and I like you know. So, uh, so that's the, the only one I think that could. have My father had ideas that I could have become a sportsman, possibly a golfer. Even one suggested. I remember most famously saying. I could I make a very good policeman. Yeah. But you know. When constabulary duties to be done, to be done, yeah. a policeman's lot is not a happy one. Happy one, Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. <laughs> the Pirates of Penzance. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, uh, I'm not familiar with the reference. I will introduce you. Yeah, I do. To, uh, Perfect. I'll look it up. I'll look yeah, it up. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it was always got to be poetry reading. Yeah, yeah. Journalism. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and investigation. I mean, there was an interesting link between archaeology, like it's about discovering stuff. Yeah, and of course. And... And investigative journalism. Mm. You know, you're asking questions and you want to... And you're and nosy. I, I was always a bugger for asking questions. I couldn't help it at school. And it got me into trouble because the teachers, sometimes you'd be asking a really good, valid question, but they wouldn't be able to answer it. 
and then they think and it fades so, to so, it nearly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's weird that. It is strange because it should be encouraged regardless. Even if yeah. if you feel like it's kind of gone beyond your own your own fucking abilities well, or I whatever. Mean, the, word, the word education comes to us from a Greek, it's a Greek root, a juice, a juice, and it's actually a juice is to bring something out. That's it. And that's what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about bringing out the best in all of us. Now, if you're lucky, you get really good teachers. Yeah, and I'm pretty lucky, and maybe like your parents teach you, mm. learn from them. Maybe you go to schools at the right time and you get really good English teachers, whatever, biology teachers. Yeah. And they inspire you. And the same happened to me when I went up to UCC. I had the most amazing five years up at UCC with the most astonishing bunch of young ones, largely because I was a mature student. And the, the most brilliant lecturers UCC ever had at one point in time gathered in, in you know, as, as lecturers at UCC. Yeah, in UCC, you know, though, and like kind of going back to education and all that, kind of going, not going away from education, but do you know, do you ever feel like, do you know, do people kind of have an opinion? I don't know. Do you know, like, do you ever, do you know no, what I mean? Do you ever well, feel excluded or? No, no, no. No, I mean, in terms of other people's opinions, quite frankly, I couldn't give a damn. And yeah. I've always been like that anyway. Yeah. So, you know, people can think what they will and will make up their minds and on this that, and the other. I mean, and the the young ones up at, at when I say the young ones, they were like 18, 19, 20. Yeah. Were brilliant. And they they encouraged me to go into the oh, debating society. I remember. I'm still in touch with some of them through. Mm. And they were brilliant. Brilliant. That's like the hair, like, you know, because, like, they just like to say it, like, I, I, we were speaking about it earlier on as well, like, you know, like, what I said that I was going to be coming out to speak with you, like, you know, just kind of hear your experience in life, because, like, it's been a fucking. It's been a whirlwind, is a, probably yeah. a good way to put it. Well, I mean, my life, uh, like, you know, I mean, so between 1991 to 1996, yeah, I did various jobs. I was always writing, I was always doing interviews with Donald Lunny or um, Liam O'Flynn or the Hot House Flowers, even, and, and uh, not long passed away um, from the Dubliners. Um, Anyway, so I was always doing those when they came down. I would do interviews with the local Southern Star yeah. and, and the Examiner. So I was, I was always doing a bit of journalism. But then towards the end of 1996, I did a, I had a big in on the Michael Collins film, Neil Jordan's Michael Collins. And I did the, uh, like a double page spread in the Southern Star. with about five stories in it about the making of the film and about the history. And it was, it was a lovely, satisfying piece of well-researched piece of journalism. Yeah. And then I went full time. And I had a load of stories, and then what happened at the Christmas of 1996 was to change my life and my partner's life beyond any any thing it had ever been before. That's what I was kind of going to get at as well as like you know like obviously you were reading headlines like why like can you describe the the feeling or the well I mean no, different things I mean one one I mean so let's keep things separate that yeah so I mean before the I'll put it politely the shite ha happened yes. Uh, I was working away, I was doing quite well, and I was doing what I wanted to do, and I had a little office in a, you know, a place, and I was typing away, and I started to put together a collection of poems. Well, I was about to publish. I'd been writing them since I'd been in Ireland, and I'd kept them all as much as I could, and I put them into a rough collection. My partner painted a picture of a painting of me. That's actually beautiful. And I thought, I've still got the original of that one. It's called The Sunday Pint. I thought, I'm going to use that. So I did a sort of mock bundle of it. And then the, search, the house was searched on the, I think it was the 11th of February, 1997. Yeah. And I came back and a load of my stuff had gone missing, like clothes, some writing materials, and I couldn't find the collection of poems. Now, the funny thing is, 
for years. I had the bits for some of them. I had some of them whole, but I didn't have the entirety. Yeah, it was nearly like notes. But I knew I had this little library room in the, in the prairie where I'm, I'm no longer there. But um, And I went back to where I thought I'd seen it. And I'd looked two or three times before, and guess what? I opened a book of other poetry, and inside was the... So I thought, fuck it. I'm going to go for it. And my 60th birthday was coming up. And this was my 60th birthday present to myself. Always okay. caught way, a collection of stories and ballads. And the stories, they're like, every poem has a story underneath it. Yeah. Explaining the... And this poem, actually, he's just brought out a great film. I think it's called Breaking Out. It's about um, Fergus O'Farrell, yeah. the great musician from Skull, who had muscular dystrophy. He played with Len, Len Hansard. Did, they just bought a film out now. Just... I think it's on maybe Netflix or somewhere called Brain. It's about Fergus O'Farrell, and I knew him really well. Mm. And he, he passed away back in um, in uh, we. Well, I think it was nineteen ninety. <laughs> anyway, Take your yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, anyway. So, so he loved that poem. So, I, in the in the poem, I, po I posthumously I dedicated it to uh, to Fergus. Bless him. And like. Do you know around that time as well? Like, do you feel like the people of Skull, like in particular, like do you feel like you were kind of nearly extradited? Right. Well, yeah. Well, there? so what happened? Okay. So I'm I'm doing my job, just going about what a journalist, a good journalist, and I was I'm pretty, you know, I'm well trained. I've worked for the Sunday Times Insight, special investigations, what have you. So I'm just doing my job, and I'm reporting on the unfortunate murder of Madame de Plantier, who I'm totally sympathetic to her family, always have been. Yeah. And within a very short space of time, like about five weeks, I'm the lead reporter on it. I go from being the lead reporter on the case to being arrested for the crime. Not only was I arrested, my partner was arrested. Not only that, the media were informed of it in advance. There was a cameraman waiting at the station in Bandon. And then my name the next day when I came to, I had to stay somewhere else that night, because yeah. anyway was all over the media, all on the radio news, and I bought the newspapers, and I was being referred to by a cop as a, quotes prime suspect. I've always, always absolutely rejected that, that title, because no, it wasn't, a, it was something, a label that was put on me, and I never considered myself to be a suspect, because I had nothing to do with it, and there was no evidence. Maybe we'll just wait till I cars. Yeah. Do you edit this? Yeah, you know, I know I'll edit it as well. Right, you yeah, want yeah. to do as little editing as possible. Obviously, I want I to keep it yeah. as natural as possible, but like at the same time... Well, why do you take a quick break? Take a quick break. Yeah, that's good. Right, right, yeah, sorry for the interruption there, guys. There was somebody parking up. Um, yeah, so Ian, take it away anyway. Yeah, anyway, so that Christmas in 1996, and I remember it well because the house was full. Jules with three daughters and a friend of hers called Ariana, a friend of uh, Ginny's called Ariana. This is the night of the twenty third. This yeah. is the, the yeah. This would be over the Christmas. Yeah, twenty oh, yeah. third. So we had a full house. I'd killed oh three turkeys on the Sunday. I'd scaled up a Sitka spruce um, pine tree to about thirty foot and cut the top off it to make a cheapskate um, Christmas, Christmas tree. tree. Yeah, save a few bob. Well, I did that with Safi. We took it back down and then we went out for supper. Oh, we had supper. Then we went out for music and. Came back and I had a story to write that had to be in, I think, on the Monday or Tuesday. And I initially, well, anyway, I wrote my story, went to bed, got up in the morning, we were going to go to Skibbereen. And what happens? I know. A phone call comes through, I think, at about 20 to 2 
from Fenella takes the call. The twenty two in the afternoon, yeah, obviously. Twenty to two, thereabouts. Yeah. And Fenella took the call and said, "Oh, it's somebody for you, Ian." And I went, and it was Eddie Cassidy from the Examiner, and he knew me because I was their correspondent stringer down here. Yeah. And he gave me the bare bone details of an incident that happened, and a, a rough location, and I went out then to to find the location at his instruction. Yeah. And this is all. Um, this is all. Vague. This is all on Monday, and it's all out in the open. Yeah. And, you know, on um, this is Monday the twenty third, and I get up there. Oh, I listen to the two o'clock news, which confirms there has been a, a, a serious incident in, you know, West Cork, and I get Jules to get a camera, bring a camera with me, and drive out to the scene. I meet the neighbour coming down, so I walk. Eventually, she says the guards are behind me, indicating it's like a car road. Off, yeah, yeah. So eventually, I come to a place park the car it's not cordoned off at that point there and start to walk towards them and then two guys walk towards me and I think they've dated it or timed it at about maybe ten past two maybe something like that and they say what do I, I say what I'm doing I hire me and Bailey I'm here for the examiner um, is there any anything forthcoming from the, the scene yeah and they're, they're two bobbies they're one's alive one's dead I won't mention their names um, one's alive, one's dead. Yeah, one. The, yeah. What, who was a little? What you mean? One's alive. Well, one, one, one has died subsequently. One of the two guards that stopped me on the boring. Yeah. Is now passed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh that's yeah. It. No, that's fine. That's fine. I I, I talked to Ron about like at the scene. Like, no, 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 He's gone to the big, uh, you know, place in the. He's, in the blue. Yeah, he's gone off to the clouds. They've got they've got a place of people in blue up there. Yeah, that's fair enough. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So yeah, and then anyway, so I wrote my report. I met Eddie Cassidy later on, and then subsequently I was doing stories for Parry Match, BBC, oh, the Sunday Tribune, and various other people. And I was the lead journalist, yeah. really because of the fact I was there. Before I knew we the locals. Before we dive into this, no, sorry for country. Yeah. Mm. You like and like this is kind of like playing the devil's advocate before it even starts off here. Yeah. You seem to know so much, at like you know, like uh, early on, you know, like the people anyway, like you know. Well, so like, uh, well, well uh, just to answer that question, this is all provable as well. Yeah, it's no, been, that's it's, it's also been suggested by gobshites that yeah. I knew stuff that I didn't know, that actually had been that I shouldn't have known, that had actually been in print beforehand in other organs, okay. papers. So, any, or any allegation or suggestion that I was aware of things that I couldn't possibly have been aware of unless I'd somehow been unexplainably involved yeah. are a total load of gobshite. That's fair. So no. like as in like I just wanted to say it because yeah. like you know like there are it's been said like you know like the Netflix documentary and all that's gonna show yeah. like, you well, know we'll talk so about we'll talk about we that, that later, later on. Yeah, we'll talk about that later on. And maybe a book written by um, somebody else. But yeah. anyway. Um so I start reporting on it and I'm 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 getting information that no other journalists are getting. I'm going around, obviously, talking to people. Some people have talked to me. Some doing your job. I'm doing my job. Yeah. And um, and then on the on February the 11th, I, I get arrested down at the studio house, handcuffed. I kept Jules. I get them to take me back down to the cottage. What date right? was this? This, this would be the 11th of February. Yeah. 1996. So we're after skipping forward like eight weeks or so. Six weeks. Or six I weeks. Think, six weeks. Yeah. yeah. And, and in, in those six weeks, I'd written regular stories about the case. And every time you written about it, like, there was just, it was just kind of, it was a natural... Like, well, it was what I was saying, I was doing my job. Yeah. 
That's fine. You yeah, know. no, that's grand. That's grand. Oh, yeah, you yeah. know, and because I was in situ down here, I was obviously getting a lot more stuff and had a lot more contacts than, say, somebody from Cork City or Dublin. Yeah. And that's another like that's another thing that I actually said to people like you know like when I was speaking about it it's like you live there so obviously people would have been yeah. more inclined to speak to you yeah. than anybody else yeah 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 and oh, you know some people like me have liked me I know some people really like me in in, in Ballant and Skull and yeah. around and some people I for whatever reason didn't like me I can't do anything about that anyway mm. so I was working away and then oh my god so that was 25 years ago this this coming well it'll be 25 years this coming february yeah and that's a quarter of a century and that but that's that and now i've always said this that i haven't one i have nothing to do with it i was set up i was framed or an attempted framing here in ireland and it's been a form of torture and it's it's not been I mean, there have been some really, really worrying, scary parts. It's like a mad roller coaster, and I couldn't do it justice to even really. But, you know, we've been, we were, myself and Jules and our families were put through an absolutely total form of very strange torture, and are still, to a degree, being put to it. Do you feel like it was kind of like kind of defamatory? Oh, yeah, there was, there was definitely, you know, I've been, I was slandered, I was libeled, I was called names you wouldn't read in the Bible. Yeah. That's Paul Simon, by the way. Yeah. I'm only one step away from the shoe shine. <laughs> I'm trying to keep my customers yeah. satisfied. Sorry if I wax into your grind, your grind. Don't worry about I it. I can't. I can't help it. Uh, it's just who you are. That's yeah. Why that's why. That's why I'm here. By I just want to talk to you. Like, do you know what I mean? Just see what. Yeah. Size. So anyway, so what would happen? I don't know. I fought battles. I fought battles that I'm probably never going to win. In the long war, which is still going on, I fought them in the defamation courts with maybe. Uh, mixed result. Well, definitely mixed results, and um, I fought them in the um, on the beaches, and I fought them in the high courts, the low courts, the middle courts, right the way to the supreme court. Yeah, because they. You, and I was in danger of getting extradited. Now, bear in mind this: that the evidence that was used to convict me in France and yeah. bonfire me on a pile of lies in Paris was the evidence which had been multiple times rejected by the DPP's office here in Ireland. So how does it that was work? Exactly, though? and also, well, it, you don't uh, like, right. as in, like if it was rejected, that, that's where you kind of get confused. Right. Well, so let me let me try and explain this. So I studied, went up to UCC in two thousand and seven, was there for two thousand twelve. Wonderful year studying law. So one of the things I studied was sidebar French law and Bonaparte Code of Law, under which I was being, uh, they were coming after me on, and it was quite clear. For instance, even then I knew that statements that were made by somebody who then retracted a statement would still be considered as evidence. And sure that was well documented who that yeah, was. Yeah, and they did this with a guy. Some people compared the process of what I was subjected to as the Dreyfus case. Well, you might not have heard of Dreyfus, but I some haven't. of your listeners will have done. And for those who haven't, go and check him out. Do you mean the Dreyfus case? Well, the Dre Dreyfus was in the French army. But he was uh, he was framed for they, he was a Jew, yeah. And he the people some people didn't like him, and he was framed as a spy, and subsequently jailed and suffered. But then subsequently was exonerated in his lifetime. Yeah. So that's in a nutshell the Dreyfus case. So basically, kind of what you're saying there to kind of put it in a nutshell is that it was kind of easier to point a finger at the eccentric Englishman. Yeah. Well, in I mean, sense, or the fellow that was kind of putting himself out there in the middle of it. But that's you would know twice what to do that because I, I don't, job. Do you know a lot of these questions I couldn't answer, and there aren't there are some still living members of the guards who tried to frame me, 
the superintendent who lives in Cork is, I won't mention his name. Don't J. No, 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 it's okay. You can edit that out if you want. He knows who he is. Yeah. Dogs on the street know who he is. You yeah. can edit anyway. He was in there anyway. Like, is it, it, he everyone features, has seen it, so he, I don't know. Right, yeah, to. so it's in the open. And yeah. he features there in the Netflix documentary. That's it. And the funny thing is, he now, so when the house was raided back on the 11th of February and I came back and a lot of my stuff had been taken, one of my items that had been taken was my long, dark winter coat, which I'd originally come down to collect that winter when I first arrived. And it was like, it was a great winter coat. It was like 1950s vintage sort of railman's coat it was. Yeah. Um, and there on the top of the list was a number of things. Well, I've got this list later on of t- items taken, long black coat. Now, it was suggested in the Netflix documentary that I had uh, somehow I was wearing that. The suggestion was that I was wearing that coat and, and I'd put it into a bucket of bleach in the kitchen, in the bathroom, on, over the Christmas, and then I'd subsequently burnt it <coughs> in a fire. Yeah. Total load of bollocks. Now, the reason it can be shown to be a total load of bollocks is because on the Sunday day, Christmas Day swim in Skull. I'm seen there in a black hat, my long dark coat. So it hasn't been destroyed at that point, and then subsequently it hasn't been destroyed on February the 11th when they search the house and they take it away. So that is a dirty, rotten, stinking lie. Yeah, but they... with, with 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 very sort of menacing overtones. And anybody who didn't know the story, who saw the Netflix documentary, which I've always maintained wasn't going to be an objective documentary as a documentary should be, it will be a piece of um, subjective, uh, demonising propaganda on behalf of the family. Well, Netflix... And it, and it was. Netflix just make a lot of money off, like, serial that's killers their and all this kind of stuff as well. Like, their you know, only they, interest was they're the like money. a bad guy, do you know what I mean, yeah. as well, and that sells. And I can understand that argument when you're saying it. And let me tell you what we're talking about. But I'm just confused, just before we go forward, yeah. though, I'm just a bit confused there. Do you know you were saying the long coat, like you were seen wearing it on the, the winter swim. When yeah. was the winter swim? Well, that would have been on the Wednesday. The So, yeah, the Wednesday of that 25th. Oh, and they said that you went home and bleached it. So the t- yeah. It would have been ruined anyway. If you yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, it's, I get you now. Sorry. Point, the point is, it's a piece of... I was of, a bit confused there, sorry. It's a piece no, of erroneous nonsense, which they've done to try to sort of you know blacken my name but you not carry on anyway anyway so yeah so when all right i'm sort of zigzagging across the universe <laughs> here so I, one of the cases i took on was a case and it was a big one a case against the state and the preparation for this almost was ex- so exhausting and frank buttermore was running the case bless him in his office and we had to prepare six sets of papers with enormous amounts of documentation it took a small lorry to drive the fucking stuff up and we went into battle, I think it was on November the 4th, 2014. I think it was 15. No, it finished in 15. Oh, it finished in 15, yes. Yeah, so. November the 4th, just so. Oh, yeah, yeah so yeah, it started yeah, at the yeah, end of the year, yeah, 14, and, then and ran over. In, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, great, yeah. yeah. And we, 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 I mounted a, a case against the state for a number of torts. The tort is a wrong, a civil wrong, which you can seek remedy, a wrongful arrest, this, that, and the other. And Did we had about confident? 20 witnesses, sorry. Did you feel confident going into that? Cause if I was guilty, how the fuck, 25 years on, am I still buggering on, battling on? And I don't actually know the answer to that question because it must be something to do with some, you know, I don't know, higher power or something. Yeah. No, but like, that's what I mean. Like, you know, like... But I, like, I, just sticking to the thing. So yeah, I was talking yeah, about, right, back. so two documentaries came out. Now, one I'd been cooperating with. So Jim approached me at the beginning of the civil action. 
I remember we went outside in the forecourts and uh, he had a cigarette and I had a cigarette and we smoked. And he also seemed like a smoker, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think he does anymore, but yeah. had, a, had a cigarette, chewed the breeze a bit, and he said the outcome was that he was very funny. He followed this story, the saga, for years, and he felt there was something really wrong and he wanted to make something. So I formed a sort of formal relationship with him subsequently and said, I'll give you everything. I'll give you everything I've got. Paperwork, whatever. And we did a series of... Like over the years, there were nearly 600 hours of footage. Yeah. But then what happened is he took his idea to the BBC in London, and the BBC lady commissioning editor said she bought into the idea. What Jim didn't know at the time was that she was subsequently, and she knew, was going to get transferred from the BBC to become the chief commissioning editor at a company in America called Netflix. And basically what she did, and this is provable, and you wouldn't have to worry about anything legal on this, yeah. is that she subsequently used footage and film, which I had exclusively given for Jim for his project, to Netflix and a guy called Simon Chin, uh, the di managing director of a company called Lightbox. Yeah. They, make, they make films, documentaries. He brought in a director called John Dower, and they set about a piece of, a three-part piece of dark propaganda. And it was, oh, and the other thing is that the family, the, her family, bless them, were actually part of the production company, as you like. In other words, they had sway over it. Yeah, like, but, yeah, like, Netflix, again, they can kind of go, like, going back to them, they are, like, they're just always going to sell the back. Yeah, and right? you see the reason, so they know that under American law, and if you sue them, you have to sue them in America. You can't sue them here. And it's very, very expensive. The Constitution in America gives the right... Uh, the newspaper, it's right, so the person who sells you the newspaper cannot be held responsible for the defamation. That's established in law. The news agent who sells you the paper containing the defamation cannot be, he's merely a, a middleman. A middleman. Yeah. And Netflix say, I'm the middleman. I'm the middleman. And they've got off, they, they can get off on so it's just American constitutional law on that one. Yeah, I wouldn't bother, so... <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it wouldn't be worth it. I know, I know. Jesus, oh, I've got, I've got more, I want to be creative. I just want to get on. I've got more poems. I started to edit some poems, that I've, I've, and I have to do this and be quite disciplined. After about... Oh, I have, like, I haven't done it for ages this year. I've got loads of bits and pieces, and I have to go through, and I have to disregard this and disregard that. Oh, that's a nice one. Yeah. Take that one. I get it onto the computer, and I'm going to try to get another... form another collection. Yeah. And like, but like, kind of going backwards there again. I'm not going back, but like, you know, when this all kind of broke, like, and you read, like, you know, like when it did that sudden change went like, and it was so fast. Well, it seems like when I'm looking back at the documentaries, Jim Sheridan's and Netflix, like that, you went from covering it to right there spotlight. Like, what did that actually feel? Like, you know, like, well, can you describe it? Because like, that's something I'm so. I mean, I think the thing the thing is that when these psychological things happen to you and your whole life is just turned upside down it takes a while for like you've got uh, in like fear a lot of fear i remember um fear apprehension anxiety a lot of that um you know and then some days you like remember your sleep starts to get back into a better pattern but you're left and then you're still trying to carry on being i'm still trying to carry on so like i was before be normal and write stories uh, and I found that papers, for instance, the Sunday Tribune all of a sudden didn't want to talk to me. 
Yeah. And, found, and then I was reading other papers and they were saying, Do you understand you? why they wouldn't? I could. How could you deal with anybody who had been branded as a potential murderer? murderer like, yeah. like, that's what I mean. Like, so, like, I you, you wouldn't hold any of that well, personal. Well, not that you wouldn't. I'd say at the time it would have been extremely hard not to. But at the same time, you have to kind of show, or not show, but kind of. Well, there's a word. Said, you can see. I can't there, think there, of the word. There's a yet. word. It's an Indian word. It's pariah. A pariah. And a pariah is somebody who is shunned and avoided. Yeah. By caste. A social pariah. Well, yeah, social pariah. Yeah. And they turned me into a. They pariahed me. And like that must have been really fucking like. And again, uh, I'm not saying anything or like suggest anything, but like it's just so. I say you must. You must have been depressed. I mean, I definitely felt suicidal at certain phases. And I did this and I did that. And how did I deal with it? Well, the first ten years, I really didn't deal with it very well. But that was. I remember there's a turning point after ten years, and I. Oh, I know what it was. I yeah so I'd I'd been to AA and I'd given up drinking and I got a couple of really good spiritual guidance one was the serenity prayer mm. and I, I don't know why I didn't think I heard it before maybe you have to go to AA to learn it I don't know and it's God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change this too the courage pass. to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference and how to let go of stuff that you cannot and I started to realize I, w I realized I was starting to feel a bit sorry for myself and I grounded myself and I did a sort of harker in the yard and I was like, like, it was I, like an I, epiphany. I, I altered a, something like I put so and then from that point on I went sort of you know and I finished up at UCC best shows of my some of the best shows of my life yeah absolutely wonderful and um, you know I've been I've been buggering him so we took the case against the state it ran for uh, I think a record-breaking uh, 63 days, I think it was 64th of costs or something. I produced 20 witnesses, including Maria Farrell, including a man called um, Martin Graham, who's now passed away and lies in Skull Graveyard, bless him, who'd been recruited by two guards to basically get to know me. Yeah. Mm. Oh, and he admitted that I saw that. Yeah, and he did. And, and, and there's, no, there's no question the statements are there. It's, it's even backed up on tape recordings they made. Yeah. You know the fact that let's say the feckers, the, uh, the gentleman, the Amgali Shirkana were on the phone and they were caught and there were a thing called abandoned tapes, and this came out during my part of my civil action, the discovery process. What year was this? This would have been in, right. So we were going to go into battle, but two thousand. It was two thousand fifteen, actually. Sorry. We, we, yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. So we're back to two thousand. I think it began in two thousand and fourteen, didn't it? Our fourteen. Yeah, it started in November. And yeah, it carried and it ran on into and it didn't really come through till till April. Yeah, in fact, I think. Okay. Yeah. Now, so obviously, there was a Christmas break in it. We d we we called twenty odd witnesses, Martin Graham and and um, Maria Farrell, and that was very dramatic. Maria Farrell told this extraordinary story. She said that she'd been told by an officer that not only was I a murderer, I was a very, very strange man. And one of the things I liked doing was sitting on Barley Cove Beach in a rocking chair under a full moon, encanting poetry while ten dancing lesbians pirouetted around me. That sounds like she a dream. Told, <laughs> she told that story. And according to her, that one before, the, the headlines in the papers, you can imagine, that say, when I got back down to Skull, because I was going up on a, I was going up on a Sunday or a Monday, yeah. coming back down on Friday, every lad in Skull was saying to me, Ian, <laughs> for lesbians. Hey, yeah, where, where do you get lesbians from? Well, I said, well, I used Ballad de Hobb. Where do you get yours from? Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's great, yeah. No, no disrespect to you, ladies. <laughs> 
I'm all for it. Anyway, um, so so it was, but anyway, yeah. So there were and there were, there were bright parts as well. I mean, that's so Jules and myself still went through different. You can't things. skip past though that for a second though. Like that's a really odd thing to be saying in court. And like, how can you take that person seriously? No, after that, genuinely, no. Like, I'm sorry. After in I, all no, I, I do believe that because I had had some. Well, experience. I believe she might have been told it, but she said it in court. Like, so like, I know. How but can I, the judge I, take that her serious after that? You know, I don't know. Anyway, listen. So that all that was going on. So anyway, we did it. Sixty-one. Now they produced. I don't know how. God knows how many witnesses, including the man who says I burnt the the coat, the superintendent. Yeah. And he stood in the box and he said in a Kerry voice, he said, and he was being asked questions by Tom Creed, senior counsel, specifically about whether Maria Farrell's evidence, anything she said, could be allowed any credibility. And do you know what he said? And I remember the words, and I wrote them down. He said them in a. That resource of Carrie, Carrie Brog. He yeah. said, even the greatest liar in the world tells the truth sometimes. You see? And I thought, effect, you're talking about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I thought it was a really good, you know. I thought it, he seemed to have a bit of a personal vendetta nearly against you, though. I think and he like, did. Like, and again, when you were on the big interview with Clet Fitz, uh, Fitzpatrick or Fitzgibbon? Fitzpatrick, so yeah, Clip but, um, yeah, yeah, but um, bless you, yeah, yeah, but you said like you know that you think you have an idea who it was. Oh yeah, well the thing is there were two. Because like, I've heard stories. I won't mention it myself. No, I, either, no, like, I think know, we should be very careful. I mean, it struck me there were only two, one or two, and th these were common enough theories back at the time. It wasn't my theory particularly. In fact, the one that is possibly a theory was my number last one. I had a number of theories. But like you know, qui bono? You ask yourself in law, it will, in the case of a crime like this, which means who benefits? Qui bono? Who benefits? Yeah. Well, we know that there was a large amount of insurance money upon her life. We know that because I was told it by a cop, and so was Jules. Sure, her husband. The, but the husband would have been the beneficiary of that. The husband was already conducting an affair with a woman who subsequently became his fourth trophy wife. And it, he wasn't even questioned. He didn't come over for the, the you know, the, you think, uh, the first thing I would have thought anybody would do whose partner or wife was killed in a foreign place if it wasn't like COVID time and everything would be on, on the first plane out and over. Yeah, I can understand I, I, I would guess that that's probably like... People the, t at the same time, I know, not, not like defending him or anything like that, but uh, at the same time, that's very traumatic and people do deal with grief and bereavement differently yeah not 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 defending him or anything but you know no like no anyway so I mean the, the point about that uh, that avenue was never followed up it what was is the fact he never came is what I thought was weird and uh, and also I know that the the, the detective in question had said in a Perry match interview to a journalist called Caroline Monger at some point in the future after the first arrest we knew who it was from day one and he was referring to me. Yeah. But he, he you know, they set out to put so me in the frame. That was the superintendent. Yeah, well, he was, yeah, he was he was the detective. Then he became head of West, the West Court Division. Yeah. I mean, I know he's litigious, um, you know, so which means, you know, he's likely to sue. Yeah. But I don't think anything that I've said could be in any way construed as being, uh, you know, defamatory. I'm not saying anything either. I'm just asking oh, your opinion, yeah. just so everyone knows. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, we've, we've always got to have an eye to the law. Yeah, we? you know, you do, yeah. to be fair, you do. And three, three degrees helps a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, so, yeah, so anyway, I was with that. So, uh, I was never going to win that case. I was never going to win it. Um, so right at the end, now there's a thing called statute of limitations, and when you put in pleadings against somebody who's a, taking a case, as I was, you 
<coughs> complete statute of limitations. Now, that means basically you've got six years from a, a thing happening to the point where you can sue. And they caught us out on that one right at the end. The judge agreed with them. The jury went out and decided on two two so planks that I had appeal on subsequently. But we were never going to win that case. When you got arrested, you were arrested twice with insufficient <coughs> evidence. That's how you were let go. But the first time you were arrested, like, you know, or not the first time, the second time you were arrested. Sorry, my apologies. Yeah. Like, what did, did they bring you in the exact same charges? Or was there anything that I wasn't handcuffed. I wasn't, I wasn't handcuffed on the second arrest. Like, well, yeah. They pretended, they pretended not to know it was my birthday. When Actually, when you open the file, what's the first thing you see after the name, date of birth? Yeah. Pretended not to know it was my birthday. And it, was a, it wasn't so quite as traumatic as the, the first one. You were nearly expecting it, were you? But was Not I? expecting no, it. No, well, no. Was I? I don't know. Like, I'd been, like, living on, an, you know, a nervous night Because there were all the stories coming out during 1997. Oh, imminent re-arrest of prime suspect, guards, no, no you know, and this, like, that. So I was living, we were living very strangely. Anyway, so we took the case eventually. And Before was, we go forward, can yeah. I ask who was giving them that information that this like imminent arrest? Like, oh, who, I, well, the media, the media. They were just flying. Yeah, they were flying. They were flying. They were character. Kind I suppose of that's just a clickbait. Today. Yeah, of course it's it is. Fucking, yeah, yeah, but you don't know if it's true or not. So you know, it's sort of it, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it doesn't make for like um, non anxiety. They're not quotes. Like it's but more or less. Anyway, look. So we you know so we went through that and then we took the case and we we didn't win. Now I did appear, have two grounds of appeal from the Maria Farrell failed case. Yeah. And we did get to the Court of Appeal who who uh, allowed us two, two grounds of appeal. But then the state went back to the Court of Appeal and, and amazingly made the point that the Court of Appeal had made a mistake and asked them to rescind their previous decision, giving me two planks to walk on. And they did. And that so was the that end was of it. my... Yeah, somebody was saying this morning I should have appealed that to the Supreme Court, but... It's just money I then don't as well. Like, I don't know. It's it's exhaustive. How much did it cost you? Do you mean asking? Like, uh, it's in, like it's, honest to God, genuinely. Well, I mean, one my legal team of, and I will say this, have been uh, Frank Bonema and the the barristers, and uh, have just been superb, and he's done it all pro bono. I don't put him under great strain, put us under great strain. <coughs> it's got, I, I technically, I I think I owe the state. Oh, I don't know anything between two point five to five million. That was the cost that were awarded for that losing that case against me. And you have to pay that back in <clears throat> at all of us? Or yeah, well, I offered to pay them it back in poetry. <laughs> That's cheeky enough, isn't it? <laughs> no, they never yeah. actually they never actually approached me for it. And no. had had they done so, I'd have been offering to pay them back at maybe a shilling a week. Yeah. So, but you know, it didn't week. happen. Yeah, but no. I mean, it, there's, there's, there's so many people in this. I won't say too. I'm really careful. I know there are people, and I know there are t- people who know who, well, not who did it, but that I, it wasn't me. Yeah. And they've hidden behind this sort of wall of silence. Why? Because if that truth was admitted, it would be absolutely, the implications would be absolutely fucking phenomenal. Yeah. N- enormous. And it would implicate an awful lot of, of, of uh, you know, people. people. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, and for that reason, I'm like, my, my prayer is that you know the truth emerges and drew harris the new commissioner relatively new commissioner uh this is you know in the in the media but i'll just reiterate it so i wrote to him three times this year earlier in the year asking him for a complete cold case review as a new pair of hands new lad on the block 
and I haven't heard back whether there will be. The media have had little stories in indicating there might be a petition with uh, just short of 30,000 names um, organised by a lady from the north called Amanda Large, who I'm very grateful to. She, it was her idea went to the commissioner last week and it's calling for justice for Ian and also calling on Mr Harris to order a complete cold case yeah. review. True or all is then, did you ever try to get in contact with the family of Sophie? I uh, thought about it once or twice and I think I even drafted letters to them but I never, never think I ever sent them. You never sent them? No. Do you think it would have implicated you? Like, I don't know. I, 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 I do remember. I, do, I don't know if it was a poem or a letter. You said an odd thing as well like with Claire Fitzpatrick, uh, Fitzpatrick that you didn't think she was a good-looking woman. I thought that was well, a good I, I, Well, no, I, I, don't, I, I don't thought know. it was no, I mean, to, to, like, to, to my, they, they paint her out to be this great beauty. To my eye, she uh, she looked quite plain. Yeah. I mean, I've got... Uh, beauty's in the eye of the, the beholder. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, have you, you know, have, have you seen some of my girlfriends? Seriously. Don't you that? No, 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 I can't Joking, joking. Yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all in uh, best possible taste. Yeah, and um, yeah, but um, but yeah, no. Did you ever? So you never really kind of tried to get in contact, or was it, no, well, no. I were think you ever I advised not to. No, I don't think I was advised not to. I think I thought about it, and I, I didn't, for whatever reasons. Do you have any regrets throughout the whole thing? Oh yeah, well, I'd, I'd be, be, uh, nobody could not. I mean, yeah, I mean, I regret certain things. Yeah, I, we can't change the past, you know. Do you think you learned anything? Like, would you be able to give anybody advice? Not like, not even like through going through. Obviously, nobody. Yeah, no, well, so not I, many, that, one, that many one thing I did learn is, is every everybody's trial and suffering and, and, and testing is equal and equivalent. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it be job loss or love loss or broken heart or the it's it's all equal and equivalent. And it, the the difference between different people is just the way they deal with it. Some people will deal with like grief. Yeah. more easily see, than others. I, I heard something there before it's um, the worst thing that happened to somebody is still the worst thing that happened to somebody so regardless of like if it's their parent is after passing away or they're after losing their job it's still the worst thing to happen to them like you know like so it's still an equivalent in yeah a sense. so i mean a person's suffering is equal and equivalent so anybody's angst is equal and equivalent to anybody else's angst to bet you know it's just a different trigger yeah so i learned that and I think that was helpful. I think my faith, my faith in if, if there is a God, it's great. And if there isn't, well, I, you know, you don't lose anything by maybe imagining there is. Has just grown, and I've been really tested. And I've, you know, I like people always said for years, keep the faith, keep the faith. And I'm like, what the fuck do you mean, keep the fucking faith? I now understand what that means. So I've learned that. Yeah. All right, that's, I suppose if you were to go take anything away from it, sounds horrible to say it, like, you know, like, I don't want to say something positive away from it, but, like, at the same time, like, you know, if you, like, and again, I'm just saying, like, for the record and all that, like, you know, like, if if what you're saying is true and everything had been put on you and, like, you know, it was, like, it's a horrible thing that's happened to you. You've done a life sentence plus ten. Yeah, yeah, but know? look, I've all, the way I've looked at it is this, and I did it with my poetry. During the time I was being bonfired in Paris, you know, what was I doing that week? I was in my shed, being at my writing table, writing poetry, you know, which subsequently went into that collection of John Wayne's State of Mind. So I was, if I can use the, the shite, as it were, the dark stuff, 
and actually turn it into something creative and maybe use it to inspire a poem. Extract from it. Extract from it. It's, it's, and also, if you can turn something that's sort of dark into maybe even have a laugh at it and completely fit it, yeah. you, 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 it's no longer a problem. It's a comedic. So I, I use you know comedy and laughter, I think, are really singing as well. Singing is one of my great loves. Is yeah, sure. It was well documented as well. Whoever that lad was talking on, uh, did Jim Sheridan anything? You used to love getting up reciting poetry and... Singing in pubs and all that, I I, could, yeah, and, and I, I can picture you doing and it. I, as well. And I, I could even, you know, without drink. I mean, sometimes a pint or a glass of wine helps, but mm. I'm, I just, I, I'll just start singing, and they don't mind me here. I can do it out the front. I can just uh, start singing. I said my singer for the show away. Oh right, <laughs> uh, because sometimes the, ca- sometimes the capo has that music coming off a system. You see, and yeah. I'll, I'll be singing along, and they don't mind. So I can be, my, I can be myself here. Which is good. Do you feel like now, that's another thing. You never moved up towards the city ever, like you know. Well, like, I did. Know, I mean, I went. I was up there for five years. Were you? Well, oh, I didn't really. Oh well, I know that. But like, is in like, were you living up in the, the city at the time? Yeah, yeah. I, oh, I, I go. I rented that. a Trevor Whelan who lives on the magazine road. Lovely man, makes pallets. Um, he had a little lean-to thingy there. It was just basic. But I went. I was in that for three years. Do you feel like you were looked at? Did you ever feel like you were looked at differently? Like you know, walking around or everything? Oh yeah. Ever well, double, double, like, kind of I, double I'll tell you what I learned to do. I learned to sort of just like in, I think it's called inuring yourself. You have a sort of protective bubble around yourself. And I've, I've learned. I think I learned. Well, I've definitely learned that. Yeah. Now I I let people I knew know who were friendly into the bubble, but I keep a sort of fairly. Protective demeanour, shall we say? You know, but I, but I, uh, having said that, but having said that, Jesus Christ, I have some amazing support in court then. Yeah. To this very day, because I went up there for a night for the music. Naturally, anyway, after all the shit that's kind of gone on. And the support is just brilliant. I get all these young people going, and and it really helps. You know, no, but I was going to say it was like you know, like naturally, you're going to have that protective bubble. It's going to, you're going to kind of build that if you have the sort of life that you kind of. Yeah, well, I'd, 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 I'd use it, for instance, if I was going back to court. I'd use it if I was like if I'm going into to a formal t- television interview. Yeah, but generally, it's you know, and and down here it's interesting. I just love West Court. I love. What do I love? I love the culture. I love the people. I love the landscape. I love the butter. I love that Bandon butter and John Fields white pan, and those lovely gabine rashers. Gabine rashers. And, and their lovely ham. <laughs> I love Ethna's strawberry jam. <laughs> They're off your game, mate. <laughs> it's in a poem. <laughs> it's, in a, it's in a poem. Oh, in there. No, it's in a poem. It's a line from it. Sort of quoting this old. Where can people get your books, then? Ian? Well, they can and get them from Amazon yeah. online, um, print to order. I think there's a Kindle version of them as well, and with the John Wayne collection, and I spent the best part of a grand, I still owe the engineer a bit of money for it, during lockdown doing an audio version of this poetry, 42 Poems and Stories, beginning to end. Was there like a music or anything like that in the background? Or was no, it just no, we just kept it very simple. Yeah. No, very, very to simple. To the point. There was a Buddhist gong, a Buddhist healing gong between the tracks. Ah, that, nice. That was it. Oh, Keep it very simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, so I did that. Now it's on an Audible, which is quite, you know, Audible, people have it on their phones, and you can download it. And guess what? If you've got an account with them, you can download it for nothing. And it, it, bearing in mind, you know, <laughs> this. So it's very difficult for, for performance people and musicians to make money now. So you download it for nothing. 
that's always been the case though hasn't it no, I don't know no it wasn't it wasn't like what, what, ages what, no what you shit. see the, the problem occurs now because the individual artist be it spoken word poetry or the musician doesn't have any there's no negotiation with Amazon there's no negotiation with them you don't go into a thing and say okay well how are we going to work this out 50 50 40 20 there's none of that you just take their terms yeah and Stuart Wilde, a great musician from school, they said he had downloaded oh he, he like a thousand times. You see, like he thought there was going to be enough for at least to go out for a nice meal. There wasn't even enough for a pint. Yeah, like what I was going to say, she was like, you know, like you, you like you know, like you're trying to not trying to like you are like you're doing your social media, like you've your Instagram, I'm learning. Twitter, you're learning, and yeah. no, that's fair enough. But yeah. like, I'm just going to let you know, like uh, from the get go, like being completely fucking honest, like it's going to be really hard to make money in social media unless you have sponsors. And well, that might come. In. That might come. Look, I've got various irons in my. I've got a few irons. It, in It's kind of like, but you see, like what I'm trying to say is like you know, like it's the outside world with like you know, like we say, like brands getting onto you saying. Could you like you love your hats? So you notice that from your social <laughs> yeah, media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, like that's something yeah. you try to push as well. Like yeah. you know, so I'm, I'm only yeah, yeah. making suggestions. Like you know, like there's oh anyway. Listen, so you were talking about so going back to this. So they yeah, can sorry. get them from um, there. They can get them from me directly if they see me. I always have them with me, or they can. Um, and how much do they cost? Well, the Westcourt Way is twelve fifty, and that's the John Wayne's fifteen. But I do the two of them for twenty five, and I sign. I always sign them. And I dedicate them if they want them. And I always put my phone number because I do a free legal aid service for people who need advice on the law. I, if I can, because I've got three degrees, including a master's, if I can, and I very often can give them advice, not give them yeah. advice, not sell them or charge them, I will. And I do that now. If I can't give them advice and help them, what I do is I have a network of other lawyers I, I put, put them onto, like a family lawyer here and... Point them in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's not like saying, "Oh God, this way you actually have." And it might be, it might, might be just a case of uh, dictating a letter for them, like me saying, "Have you got a pen now? Have you got a pen at the other end? Yeah, yeah. Write this down now, and 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 put that into a letter form, okay? And send it. Yeah. Uh, is, uh, do you think that might help? Yeah, I do. Thank, thanks a lot. Think you can <laughs> merely dictate, like you know what they could say, like you yeah, know, and give, yeah, just yeah, give yeah. my hand. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 because that's that's, that's my that's my gift, isn't it? You know, words and blah. So we could, I think, we could chat forever on a, a day almost. It's now starting to get a little bit yes. cold. <laughs> Have you noticed the sun? By the way, is beginning to set behind the Shrone Mountain. It's absolutely beautiful. That's the Shrone. Jesus Christ. So the sun I goes to. I see where you're down here, though. Well, no, like, even my, look, drive, my look, drive down is absolutely. Like I was saying, hour and a half, now I was like, fucking. And then uh, another 20 minutes, I was going. But I was looking around, but I was like, Jesus Christ, this is absolutely fucking gorgeous. You know, like, is in to take it all in. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, jealous. no, it, it is. It's, it's jealous. Well, I mean, it's on your doorstep. Now, I think what we should do is we should wrap, do a wrap now. So yeah. I don't know if you've got any more points you want to ask me about. Do you know what? I say whatever we're good enough. Yeah, so, yeah, what's going to happen next? All right, so there's a big issue coming out, just to finish the the scale for now. Um, That'll be coming out, the fourth part of my uh, autobiography, Light, will be coming out in the fourth edition of The Big Issue, which comes out digitally on December the 1st. And you can make a contribution for it, although if you're a mean skinflint, you can download it for nothing. And as well as that, do you want to shout out your social media so people can follow you? Well, I think... 
I'm going to, they can follow me. If they find me, they can find me. That's fair uh, enough. So, yeah, it won't yeah. be that hard. No, because no, I'll tell you why. I wouldn't even be able to tell you my fucking handles. Ah, uh, you're mad. I didn't, I didn't know I had handles. <laughs> that's something that's going to ask you, actually. Is that all managed for you? Like, no, yeah, no, I'm no, no, I've been like doing it myself. Like, I know myself. Facebook, you've been doing it, but you no, know. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, but I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, look, if this gets any busy, I'm going to have to give give my phone to somebody else and say, you you deal with it. Put yourself out there and try to get some ads. By you know, well, hang on a bit by bit. bit, by bit. Yeah. Anyway, listen, it's been great talking to you. you too, so uh, this will be going out and I hope you have, all of you in the, the county of the rebel uh, have a very, very happy Christmas and um, a very merry new year. Thanks for coming on. Ian. I appreciate it. Bye. That'll do. All right. Bye. Here. Oh, right. Take a break. There we go. We're going to have a drink, maybe. Yeah, fuck it.